0: From the rule of our Holy Father St. Benedict, chapter 52, the Oratorio Monasteri of the Oratory of the Monastery, again. Let the Oratory be what is called a place of prayer, and let nothing else be done and kept there. When the work of God is ended, let all go out with the utmost silence paying due reverence to God, so that a brother who perchance wishes to pray by himself may not be hindered by another's misconduct. If anyone desire to pray in private, let him go in quietly and pray, not with a loud voice, but with tears and fervor of heart. And let it not be permitted as we have said, to remain in the oratory when the work of God is finished, except it be for a like purpose, lest hindrance be caused to others. But thou Lord have mercy upon us. Thank you. I wasn't able to give the commentary on this chapter yesterday, and tomorrow we begin, rather today we would have begun the chapters on the reception of guests. So I will uh, combine today's uh, designated reading, of chapter 53, uh, with the one for tomorrow, and a comment on yesterday's designated portion today. St. Benedict derives the good part of the present chapter from the rule of St. Augustine, so this falls well today on the Feast of St. Dominic. We read in the rule of St. Augustine, in the oratory, no one should do anything other than that for which it was intended, and from which it also takes its name. Consequently, if there are some who might wish to pray there during their free time, even outside the hours appointed, they should not be hindered by those who think something else must be done there. St. Augustine, chapter 2. Inspired by the Bishop of Hippo, St. Benedict begins his treatment of the oratory of the monastery by breaking once again with the practice of Egyptian monasticism. In the monasteries of Egypt, while one of the fathers chanted psalms, the others responded with a short refrain, working all the while weaving baskets and of mats so as not to give way to sleep. The Egyptian oratory resembled a large open workroom. It would have contained stacks of reeds and date palm leaves, as well as buckets of water in which to soak the materials so as to soften them. Saint Benedict, marked by his Roman culture, was incapable of such an approach to the worship of the Divine Majesty. St. Benedict's canonical situation was moreover different from that of the Egyptian fathers. St. Benedict and his sons celebrated the Opus day in churches solemnly consecrated by the bishop. These churches had an altar in which relics of the saints rested, sacred images, and as we know from chapters 9 and 11, seating for the choir. For St. Benedict, it was inconceivable to have a kind of multi-purpose space for prayer, and to use the oratory of the monastery as a workshop or storeroom would have seemed to him sacrilege. In the oratory, St. Benedict would have his sons conduct themselves with profound respect and with reverence for the presence of God and of his holy angels. The psalmody was to be executed with skill and with devotion. Let us consider, therefore, how we ought to behave ourselves in the presence of God and of his angels, and so assist at the divine office that our mind and our voice may accord together. St. Augustine says, Think over in your hearts the words that come from your lips. St. Benedict expresses the same idea somewhat differently. Let us so assist at the Divine Office that our mind and our voice may accord together. The Benedictine oratory is a place of profound silence and adoration, not only during the hours of the Opus Day, but even outside the times consecrated to liturgical prayer. When the work of God is ended, let all go out with the utmost silence. They do reverence to God. Okay. Abbot Hervagen. Proposed that this might be translated when the work of God is ended let all go out with the utmost science, silence and let the glory of God fill the place uh, that would have been the teaching of the abbot of Maria Locke and let the glory of God fill the place a monk may remain in the oratory outside of the time of the divine office provided that he pray quietly, without raising his voice in loud exclamations or dramatic sighs. We would think this perhaps uh, very singular. Uh, It certainly is not in the the habit of the Irish and and, uh, much less of the English to pray with dramatic sighs and, and great cries. But if you were to go into any church in, in uh, southern Italy uh, you would hear people uh, praying with great sighs and praying aloud. Even giving out to the saints. Uh, going to the different the different altars and shaking their fists and uh, arguing with the saints and pleading with them and threatening and cajoling. And that's That's the way one prays. And especially in the various Churches. Uh, one, one can sometimes witness uh, remarkable conversations with the saints, it's a very public sort of thing. Saint Benedict uh, would have an adoring silence characterize Benedictine solitary prayer. We have already in this chapter the seeds of what later came to be perpetual adoration. It's all present. In in, in in potential in this chapter. Uh, Saint Benedict talks about secret, another word for secret is mystical prayer. Secretious so in chapter 4 of the second book of the dialogues. You know well the story, the the poor monk who was unable to uh, remain for the time of secret prayer. And You know the outcome of the story as St. Gregory relates it. Um, St. Benedict goes out of the oratory and finds this uh, poor monk uh, wasting his time outside. And what does St. Benedict do? He strikes him with his rod. And from that day forward, uh, the uh, dear father was so freed from all allurement black boy, uh, that he remained quietly at his prayers as the other monks did. The old enemy was so terrified that he dare not suggest any such thoughts again as though by that blow not the monk, but the devil himself had been struck. Uh, There's much to be taken from that story but the, the principal teaching is that the one thing the devil seeks above all else is to get a monk to forsake a prayer. If the devil can get a monk to stop praying, uh, that's that's his that's his principal objective. It's to get monks to stop praying, and he takes many approaches. Even Saint Teresa of uh, talks about the the wiles of the enemy uh, trying to get her Carmelites to stop praying. And St. Teresa, with her customary humor, says, One day, uh, a nun uh, forsakes prayer because she has a headache. And the next day, she forsakes prayer because yesterday she had a headache. And the following day, she forsakes prayer because the next day she may get another headache. Uh, And so, uh, the the, the devil adapts his strategies to, uh, to each person. But he always tries to get a monk. The devil can and does tempt monks against purity, obedience, stability, silence, and all the other virtues, but his chief strategy is to draw a monk away from prayer. That is his chief strategy. The monk who stops praying closes his soul to divine grace and opens himself then to every manner of temptation. The other day we had the Feast of St. Alphonsus. St. Alphonsus wrote a marvelous little book on the necessity of prayer. And it's been published and republished. I, I, do we have it in the, in the library, brother? I have to look. We have some of the things that I've had earlier. June book has a lovely little popular edition of it. Or the, the um Two of Powers. Do they? We should order it. We should. Because it's it's very much um, <laughs> It's St. It's, it's Alphonsus, of course, but it's, it's very monastic and it's also very simple. It's all of St. Alphonsus' uh, writings, the style of exhortation, are simple because he, he wanted to address ordinary people. Uh, but it's a, it's a marvelous little treatise on the necessity of prayer. The devil especially fears amongst secret prayer. Because secret prayer is the subterranean stream that irrigates liturgical prayer and makes it wonderfully fruitful. A monk can go to choir faithfully and be very cold in choir and eventually harden himself against the word of God. But the monk who, alongside of his choral prayer, perseveres in secret prayer will find that his heart uh, can be pierced by the Word of God in choral prayer. The secret prayer softens the heart, and especially, I would add, the prayer of the rosary. And the rosary has a wonderful um, way of softening the most hardened heart. It's almost as if with each ave The heart is made, um, is opened to grace. Somehow the heart becomes more penetrable. And so I'm a great believer in, especially in times of crisis or temptation, or when the choir office becomes burdensome, or difficult, or uh, when one experiences a feeling of disgust for the choir office. That sometimes happens when a brother is suffering from a seed um, Alongside the choir office, among the various forms of secret prayer, uh, there is the rosary. And the rosary irrigates, uh, irrigates a man's life with God. It irrigates a man's life with God with grace. And so uh, There would be some who would say because a monk has the great psalter in the choral office he need not devote himself to Mary's psalter the 150 aves but I find that Mary's psalter makes the great psalter of the office even more fruitful that's my own experience of over 40 years of of, uh, trying to pray My life always goes forward, irrigated by grace, when I'm faithful to Mary's psalter. And when I put Mary's psalter aside, the other psalter, the great psalter, becomes more difficult. Just my experience. So I I, I share that with you. Uh, It was uh, the custom, right up until the 1960s, uh, to have the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, alongside the canonical hours, Uh, In in most monasteries we have a a trace of that, an amendment of that, in the antiphon to the mother of God that follows each of the hours. secret prayer in chapter 20 let us remember that not for our much speaking but for our purity of heart and tears of compunction shall we be heard our prayer therefore ought to be short and pure except it perchance be prolonged by the inspiration of divine grace St. Benedict recognizes that some of his monks may in fact have the gift of prolonging their secret prayer in watches of adoration and in stillness before the altar. The Holy Patriarch himself was familiar with this kind of prayer, for St. Gregory describing St. Benedict's mystical experience says the inward light which was in his soul ravished the mind of the beholder to supernatural things and showed him how small all oh, earthly